All right. So just to recap a little bit uh, last week, because we, uh, you know, just to take a few minutes and do that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says, though we live in this world, we do not wage war, we do not wage war as this world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We talked about strongholds. Uh, we demolish arguments, every protection that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And if you remember when we were talking about this, through life, you know, that we're affected by our environments at work, at school, uh, you know, wherever we are, and we develop belief systems. And if we believe things that are contrary to the word of God, for example, if you refuse to forgive somebody because you're bitter or whatever, that becomes a brick, all right? And that becomes a belief system. And eventually, as you reinforce that belief system, and we've talked about words like um, uh, imaginations, you know, and that's the King James Version. Um, I'm saying King James, just different Bible versions. We develop imagination, so we start building scenarios in our minds. Remember that? Remember the story about the big toe? Where's my example of the big toe there? Probably out there. Are you here, Michael? Ah, there he is back there, waving his hand. So I step on Michael's toe, he gets all of, oh no, he steps on mine. I get all offended, and then that night I go to bed, and I'm inventing scenarios in my mind. He did it on purpose. Meanwhile, he didn't even know he stepped on my toe. So I'm building all sorts of scenarios. Next time I see him, I've got kind of like a root of bitterness in my heart, and I'm angry and frustrated. And that's how we start building strongholds. Then we develop another brick, another brick, and it reinforces that thought. Okay? So that's why the Word of God says we demolish those arguments. We demolish those, and we demolish all the pretensions. And if you remember what that is, it's, um, you know, when you talk with somebody and you say, my dad can run five kilometers in 10 minutes, and then somebody will say, well, my dad can run five kilometers in eight minutes. You know what I mean? That's, that's you know, trying to go over, once over. The devil does that, right? So all these things we demolish with the Word of God. The only way we can demolish a stronghold is with the way of Word of God. Nothing else will demolish that. And if we continue believing patterns of this world, then we actually build up this tower and our feelings and emotions get mixed up in it. And this is where we left off last week. Uh, last week, I shared a scripture, uh, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard our hearts, or guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life or the issues of life come out of it, and then we left it off that way. The thing about believing lies of the enemy is it doesn't just stay here. Eventually it filters into the heart, and we're gonna look at a lot of scriptures this morning, and from there our emotions get attached with it, and you know, that's why sometimes if I would've ran into Michael and how are you Marys today? Why, why do you wanna know that? If I spent the whole night arguing in my mind, having arguments, then of course I'd react that way because it would filter in my heart, my heart, and then I would set, you know, my emotions and all that stuff to be tied with it. So anyway, that was last week. All right, 
Um, back here. Oh, right there. Perfect. Thank you so much. So Psalm 191, 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And um, there's other scriptures, you know, in Matthew 12, 34, out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Uh, for where your treasure is, uh, there your heart will be also. So all these scriptures are pointing to the fact that thoughts, when we let them fester there long enough, eventually goes into the heart. The good is also true. We start reading the Word of God and we start, believe, or we start believing things that are good. You are loved. God created you. You are special. You're not a mistake. And all the rest of these things that the enemy likes to say the opposite. When you accept those as truths, eventually they go from your mind into your heart. And that's what happens when you read the Word of God. Have you ever been comforted by the Word of God? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And sometimes he comforts us with the word of God. That's all part of the spiritual warfare. It's not separate from that. It's renewing your mind. Because the first scripture we talked about last week was renewing our minds and, and how that works. Amen? Amen? So I stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And it doesn't say I will use willpower you know, that I may not sin against you. It doesn't say I'll beat myself up because, you know, that's what happens when we're not focused on God. We sin and we do something wrong, then we start whipping ourselves and shame and all that kind of stuff happens, right? So it doesn't say that. I'm not going to beat myself up that I might not sin against you. The scripture says, I stored up your word in my heart for the purpose of living for your purpose, not mine, that I may not sin against you. All right, so we're going to look this morning really uh, how to protect our hearts and little things, little, I shouldn't say tricks, but things I've learned through experience. Because sometimes you figure out things that work, sometimes you figure out things that don't work, right? So me doing that will help you, all right? So next slide, please. Um, oh, Okay, I remember why I put that one. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, why did I put that one there? <laughs> did I look surprised? My eyeballs pop right up. <sighs> okay, anyway. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And I'll tell you why it's one of my favorite scriptures. Titus 2, 11, 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation um, has appeared to all people. All, that includes us, right? Um... It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Without the Holy Spirit, that's kind of impossible to do, right? Without the help of God, we like, <clears throat> you know, because I'm sure we can all picture ourselves in different scenarios. But what I like about this scripture, it says the grace of God. And it's a beautiful thing when we get into the Word of God and we discover His grace especially when we need it. I mean, the Bible says to approach his throne of grace, that we might find grace and mercy in time of need. So in time of need is not a time to run away from God and follow patterns of this world. In time of need is to seek the Lord. 
submit to his ways, not our ways, because he's gracious and compassionate and full of love. Amen? All right. All right. So Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And there's a season in my life, I won't say the story again because I said it last week, where season in my life that every single morning I woke up and I digested that scripture and I let it saturate into my heart because of you know, something that was going on in my life. And one of the things I learned from that verse is being you know, in the military, the word guard. I started dissecting that word guard and what I discovered it has two meanings to it. The word guard means to hedge and to watch. And what I mean by that, in the military, there's a term, um, if let's say a tank regiment, that was my early years in the military, a tank regiment stops and it needs to pause somewhere because the battle situation changes, whatever. Then it goes into what they call a hide. And a hide is a temporary place where you're sitting there waiting for what's next, okay? It could be the commander of the tank regiments waiting for, you know, where to go next, right? So what they do is they go into a hide, and in there, there's two things you do. Every cannon or every gun of the tanks, when you go in a hide, is all around defense. So you have sergeants and different ranks there that take care of that. So the tanks are doing immediate protection of the unit. At the same time, we set up watchmen, okay? And what they do is they might go a, a kilometer outside of the hide. It could be on top of a hill, the end of a road, a major intersection, and hide there and have a radio. And their job is to see if the enemy's coming this direction. So this word guard means two things. It means to immediately protect your heart. You know, sometimes you get a phone call and it's like, <gasps> you need to immediately protect your heart. There's other times you see the enemy coming, right? And then you decide what to do from there. So there's, it's like a double protection. It's almost like that deodorant commercial. Anyway, I'll just let you go. <laughs> But it has two, it means two things to guard. To immediately hedge and to watch to see if the enemy's coming. So when the author in this, in this, um, in this uh, a proverb is a king who's giving advice to his son who's a future king. And he's giving him all sorts of, you know, do this and don't do that and all sorts of very good advice. Just like you and I, we get all sorts of advice from friends, people that care for us, church pastors, leaders, all the rest teachers. But ultimately, he says, regardless of everything I've told you, son, regardless of all the stuff we've talked about, above all else, the most important thing you can do in your life is guard your heart because all the issues of life come out of it. Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. It's what life comes from. Guard your heart, because that will control and, 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 and direct everything you do. Amen? Amen? So this morning, 
What we're going to do is I'm going to give you a few tips. I'll count them, actually. Let me do that. One, two, three, four, five. Five tips on how to guard your heart. They're going to be pretty quick. It's not, um, you know, exhaustive anyway. Um, something I should have mentioned before is um, um, our pastor and I were chatting a few weeks ago, actually a month ago, and he said that my notes, last week's notes, this week's notes, um, a list of scriptures that I use myself for my own warfare, we're going to put online for you guys to go download, print, read, do whatever you want. So anyway, that'll be in his, his court there. But that'll be very, very soon. Probably in the next couple of days, I'll give it to him. Okay? So don't worry about, oh, I got to write everything down. You can do that, but you're going to have the notes. It's going to be available for you. All right? There's another scripture in Jeremiah. It says, and I use the message as an example. Jeremiah 17, 9, and it says this. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. And I, used, I chose the message because I like the way to explain it. All the other versions are really good too. And it's so true. We cannot say, you know, I'm following my heart. Right? You ever hear that all? I'm following my heart. You know, and the next thing you know, you know, things happen. And uh, I was reminded of a story, but I won't say it. I'll just give you kind of the, the outline. Is you ever talk to people, in my case, I was confronting somebody, I was a pastor at the time, I was confronting somebody, it's not fun confronting people, right, but these things have to happen, and something specific happened, and I gave the person advice, and I says, you know what, the word of God says this, and this is what you need to do. The person didn't like it, so right away the person says, but God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Maybe you've said that, maybe I've said that. God knows my heart. And when people say that, you know, in this case anyway, probably in most cases, but in this case anyway, when people say that, they're basically saying, shut up. I don't want your advice. I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to continue. I don't want to change. That's the way it is. So when people in the middle of a conversation, you say, you know what, the Word of God says this. And he says, yeah, but God knows my heart. In other words, you know nothing, and it's directly me and God. He knows my heart, and I don't want any advice. All right? We cannot live that way. Because the heart, if we say, if we strictly, you know, um, um, blah, 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 I lost words. Anyway, if we strictly uh, focus on our hearts, our hearts get filled with good things or bad things. That's why it's so deceitful. So if you're living a certain way that's opposing to the word of God, you can't rely on your heart. You can't say, well, I'm going to trust my heart. I'm going to follow my heart. You're going to go in some, everybody, anybody done that? I've done that. You know, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> but I've done that. It does not work. Leading your, you know, following your heart does not bring you in good places. All right? And anyway, I said enough. Amen. All right. When you say amen, I'll move to the next point. You know that, right? <laughs> amen, 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 amen. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. There we go. We're done. Conclusion time. All right. So guard your heart. And these, these are bullet points. 
by captivating your thoughts. And we've, we've talked about this last week, so I'm not going to hit too much. But in the scripture, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. Word of God is not just words on paper. It's not just, oh, I got to read my Bible this morning so that I meet the quota or whatever that is. The word of God is living and active. It will do something. It will activate something in our hearts. As we believe what the word of God says, as we let it convict us or encourage us or do whatever it does, it's living and active like a washing machine and then it saturates into our hearts, right? So, um, sharper than a double-edged sword, we talked about that last week. Double-edged sword cuts away things and the other edge of the sword is like a scalpel and it goes in and it heals. It's like a double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's the main point here. We'll move to something else. Is the word of God. Eventually when we believe things, eventually it'll judge the thoughts and attitudes into our hearts. That's conviction. That's what the word of God does. Is it really puts to light things going on in here and it tells you this, this is how I see what's going on in here. Amen. Guard your heart by having the right focus. Psalm 34.3 says, magnify the Lord. And all I did is I just cut out a little portion here because I, I want to emphasize a point. Big toe, hey, Big toe Michael. I'll use Michael again. He doesn't mind, he told me. I got permission. I'm not going to get a sneaker across the head. But if I'm offended about Mike stepping on my big toe and hurting me, and I start developing patterns in my mind that, you know, he did it on purpose, then next thing you know, that's all I'm thinking of, right? So I'm magnifying the problem. I'm focusing on the fact that, you know, he wants nothing good for me. He's did it on purpose. And next thing you know, the scenarios that we're building, it magnifies the problem, it becomes a stronghold. And the scripture here says, instead of putting a magnet on your problems, instead of putting a magnet on the things that you're not or you are or whatever, or magnet, not magnet, magnifying glass, sorry. Did I say magnet in the beginning? Oh, all right. Magnifying glass, not a magnet. The opposite, actually. If you put the magnifying glass, like the scripture says, on the Lord, and we set our affections, scripture says that, set your affections on the Lord, we magnify God, then you know as well as I do is our, our problems shrink, right? And next thing you know, this big problem of somebody, next thing you know, I'm... Maybe he didn't step on my toe on purpose. Maybe it was an accident. And who knows? I may go to Michael and say, hey, remember the other day when he stepped on my toe? What do you mean? Right? He didn't even know himself. And that kind of shuts everything down and, and then we're good again as brothers. Right? So where we, you know, what we magnify will increase. So why not magnify the Lord? Put a magnifying glass on, on God. You know, and scriptures support that. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, right? The Lord's above. 
Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God's righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Amen? All right. You said amen, I can move to the next one. All right. So we're on the third point here. Guard your heart by examining yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes that, eh? Examining ourselves. Uh, two scriptures here. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. It's funny that it ends with return to the Lord here. When we do not examine ourselves, when we think we're good, and sometimes Christians, you know, as well as I do, we're, you know, we're kind of known for that. Do you want prayer? No, no, it's okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Being that way causes us to be away from the Lord. When you allow God to examine yourself, the scripture says it's to get closer to him. So it's not like, I'm, you know, you're a bad boy, bad girl, you're being punished. It's to remove whatever's in the way between you and I. This is God saying this, between you and I, so that it's no longer there and we can get closer. And that's exactly what it says here, to return to the Lord. And um, Psalm 139, 23 to 24 you know, most of us that, you know, have a daily routine, you know, with God in the morning, whatever it is, me it's in the morning, some people it's more in the evening. This scripture is part of my daily, my daily things because sometimes I don't know if I did something wrong. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes we know and we kind of like make believe, but sometimes we don't know. So when we say, Lord, let us exactly, you know, examine what's going on in here, then God will reveal things because he wants to get close to us, right? Even if we don't want to, all right? So search me, O God, and know my heart. Knowing my heart here is not God knows my heart to hide something. It's know my heart, like open it up and, you know, whatever's there, that's, you know, let's deal with that. So search me, O God, Know my heart. Test me. How many know that God tests you? Eh? We can know. We all know that. If we say I'll never, okay, God's going to test you. Right? So it's search, search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Because he knows everything about us. Why do we hide from God? I mean, it's kind of silly, right? So he knows everything. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because ultimately his goal, God's goal, is to put us back on track with him. You know, the enemy would like to say, oh, it's because he wants to punish you. And Adam and Eve, it's, you know, the serpent told Eve, it's because God doesn't want you to be like him. But meanwhile, God's purpose of not eating that fruit is because he doesn't want anything in between in the relationship. It was to protect them, right? Somebody can say amen. <laughs> All right. We can move to the next point, and I'll take another drink of water. Going a little deeper. Guard your heart with daily repentance. Repenting is a beautiful word. And if you only 
no repentance by Hollywood. Hollywood is repent. There's a big whip and whoosh, repent. And it's a scary thing. And it's like, oh no, God's going to, you know, zap me or blow me away or whatever. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if we look at Acts 3.19, he says, repent then and turn to God. And I just want to stop there for a second. Repentance is not, forgive me, Lord, for doing this, for doing this, for doing this, for doing this. Forgive me, Lord, for doing this, for doing this. That's not repentance. That's confession, right? Repentance is when you choose to turn away from what you've confessed. That's, that's repentance. And the day you say, you know what, I'm tired of this lifestyle. I'm tired of a friend of mine that had an addiction, a really good friend of mine. Actually, he's one of the guys that brought me to the Lord. He had an addiction, and he said, I had a vision from God. It was like kicking a cactus, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm kicking the cactus out of the way, but meanwhile, the cactus is stinging my foot. And what the Lord was showing him is, some, you know, sin at the time is fun, but, you know, you keep kicking it, you're just making things work. You're hurting yourself, right? So, this is what I like about this scripture. He says, repent. So he's saying, turn away from your sins. Turn away from whatever's holding you back. Turn away. And he says, then turn to God. Did you catch that? So he's saying, turn away from this. Turn away from what is, is causing you pain, that's holding you back, that's hindering our relationship. Turn away from that. And as you turn away from that, turn to the Lord. That's where the magnification starts. Magnify the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. This is the last one. And then we're going to talk about something else. Guard your heart by forgiving. And I put this one last because it's probably one of the... Anyway, as, as pastors, Charlene and I encountered many many people and the thing about forgiveness this is what we've discovered is somebody will say well I've forgiven but there may be one person or you know in my case I had to forgive the army and that's a different story so I'll leave it there but in some of the prayers I've done is I, I had to repent from being bitter towards the army you know after I retired so it may be a person, it may be a workplace, it may be a boss, it may be, you know, whatever it is. Is sometimes, yes, a church, exactly. And what happens is whatever we like to hold on to, because for some reason we believe that holding on to that cactus is good, right? And the more you squeeze, the more it hurts, right? But he says, I'm not letting that puppy go. I'm going to hold on to this because some reason it makes me feel good. But it doesn't, right? It doesn't. And usually what you don't want to confess is usually what you need to confess. Because you don't really want to forgive. And for some reason, and I, I remember reading this somewhere, is that you know, not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison and expecting them to die, right? But meanwhile, we're drinking this poison and it's just making us worse and worse and worse. And as scripture says, 
you know, in Mark, there's a beautiful example. If you, you know, when you stand praying, if anything against, or if you have anything against somebody, forgive them. Then the Father in your heaven may forgive your sins. Well, that's pretty huge, right? That's the high level that God wants us to forgive, okay? Remember that lady in the prison ministry I talked about last week? She had a picture of her ex-husband who beat her up and how she looked when she was at the hospital. She had that in her wallet 40 years because she was an elderly lady. 40 years of bitterness in her back pocket. And she did not. She's still the same as what she was 40 years ago. So bitterness does nothing. And in Hebrews, I, I, I really like this scripture, and I find it's, it's really good. It can almost be a sermon by itself, but I'll just quickly talk about it. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Because we can miss the grace of God. This is not, you know, people say, Oh, I'm losing yourself. No. See, the grace of God heals. The grace of God delivers. The grace of God brings forgiveness. The grace of God does beautiful things. All right? So see to it that nobody misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up that to cause trouble and defile many. Because bitterness, and I'll just cover this quickly here, bitterness is a brick happens, okay? Let's say, um, same example, the big toe, all right? I don't deal with that right away. It becomes a brick. It becomes a stronghold. And what it does, in, like in, in, a, in another picture, is it goes from the mind into the heart. And then it starts growing. The unforgiveness starts growing. And then the roots start going into my heart. And you know, you, you try to pull a plant that has deep roots. It's hard to pull it, right? Before it starts rooting in, it's easy to pull out. But the more it roots, the harder it is. And then it just goes deeper and deeper. And the deeper those roots of bitterness go, the more the bitterness you know, comes out. You ever talk with people and that are bitter? Right in their conversation, you can tell they're bitter, right? And that's what happens. And it does nothing. The scripture says it defiles us. Like it, it, it harms us. So it's so much better to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in forgiveness. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. This is something I dealt with this year. And again, I won't go in details, but I dealt with a certain thing. I, f I had to forgive a group. It wasn't the military. It was something else. And I had to forgive specific individual. And out of it, I became free. On the outside, I looked the same. Can I pray for you, Maris? No, oh, no, it's good. I'm good. I'm good, good, good. Right? But meanwhile, inside, I had this root that was starting to come in. And then eventually, my wife, Charlene, says, Marius, you're going to have to start dealing with this. And she was honest with me. And I did. And I did a few times because sometimes, you know, the scripture we looked at, Jesus in the wilderness gets tempted three times. After the enemy leaves a third time, the enemy says, until an opportune time. So the enemy's going to come back. He's going to circle back and try to figure out another way to, to get at you, right? And that's for all our lives. 
That's why we got to apply the word of God and, and, and believe it. So, yeah, forgive. It's the best thing. Don't let it cause any defilement. It breaks relationships. It, it hurts you. It's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to, you know, all that garbage. Yeah, let it go. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's move on to something else. We're almost done here. Let's look at the next slide. Everything we talked about last week, everything we talked about this week, which is mostly dealing with issues of the heart, is part of spiritual warfare. Like the heart, guarding your heart is the most important thing you can do yourself for your own life. Okay, nobody else can do it for you. So, how do you apply this? How do you apply the Word of God as a weapon? How do you apply the Word of God to build up in your own heart, to make yourself strong spiritually? How do you apply the Word of God to renew your mind so you're being transformed by the Word of God as opposed to conforming to a pattern of this world? How do you do that? A couple of scriptures in the Bible explain that. So I'm going to read... I'm going to read the first one. In Joshua 1.8, it says, Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be able to be prosperous and successful. So what he's saying is always have the word of God with you. And this day and age, there's no excuse. On my phone and on your phones, you have the Bible on the tip of your fingers. I've got three or four Microsoft Word documents that I can click on it, and they're divided in topics. Anger, lust, uh, unforgiveness, all this stuff. And it has three or four scriptures underneath those topics. And I have them as a weapon. So if ever something comes up and the enemy circles and tries to come back at me, I take this up and I use the word of God. To try to make sense or argue with the devil, it doesn't do anything. You're going to lose. He's been at it for thousands and thousands. And he knows how to deceive Christians. But the minute you stand on the word of God, you say, uh-uh, this is what, the God, this is what God says. And then you quote, start quoting scriptures. That becomes powerful. That becomes very, very, the word of God is living and active. It does something. And it's almost like, you know, tag team wrestling. Anybody seen that? Is it still popular these days? I don't Anyway, so you're tired and you're weary and you just tag team God. God goes in the ring for you and you sit back. That's what happens with the word of God. You're allowing him to fight your battle, especially when you're worried. Amen. All right. So uh, the next uh, scripture, please. There's another scripture. Is there another one? Uh, Deuteronomy? Ah, there we go. So we're going to go a little deeper in the Word of God here. These commandments that I give you today are to be on our hearts. Notice that? Hearts. (laughs) In our minds, but then they get saturated in our hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home. And when you walk down the road. And when you lie down. And when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So what is he saying here? 
He's saying that because the word of God is so powerful, it's like a soldier having weapons, pistols and rifles and bayonets and grenades and having all their weapons. That's what he's saying is with you all the time, have the word of God available. When you get up, when you go, you know, when you go to bed, in the middle of the day, when you feel there's you know, weakness in a certain area. I used to go in the bathroom when I worked and close the door, sit on the bowl, and that's where I would read scripture. You know, people think, well, what's wrong with the, you know, our instructors in the bathroom for a long time. But I would do that. That was one of the places that I would go and be alone with God. I'm sure you can figure out the same thing. And this is what this scripture says. Write them somewhere. Put them on your fridge. Have something in your pocket. Walk around with a little New Testament. It could be some scriptures you have folded on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket. Have the Word of God ready. And teach them to your children. You know, I love Dayton and the thing you put on Facebook, Lori, about your son. You know, like, just, Mom, read me the Word of God. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's what we need to do. Amen? Amen. All the time. Not just today and then, you know, what did Mary's preach on three days ago? Jeez, I forget. You know, have the word of God ready. And this is what the scripture says. You know, door frames of your house on your gates. Write them on, you know, on your hearts when you lay down, when you get up, when you walk on the road. You know, some people, they, I've had many friends that commuted from, I lived in Angus, Charlene lived in Angus, uh, and now we're north of Toronto, and there was a lot of our neighbors that commuted to Toronto, and some of them would just, you know, listen to the Word of God. I know when Mark worked in Fredericton, that's what he would do also. You, that's when you're walking along the road. There's opportunities that you can activate the Word of God in your heart throughout the day. It doesn't have to be religious or following any pattern. Just have it ready, you know? And sometimes we may think, what scriptures do I need? Well, or what scriptures should I read? Yes, it's good to have a habit, read a couple chapters every day and follow some kind. But also read what you need. You need encouragement? Read scriptures that have encouragement. Get yourself a Bible that has an index, topical index, or it has a concordance. You know what I mean by that? You, you, there's fear popping up in your heart. You go, there's 20 scriptures on fear. Start going through them. There's going to be one or two that's going to pop right up. You know what I mean? You read a scripture, you go, huh, that's for me. And then you write it down. And you have it ready to play, you know, put it back on your heart. Say it again. Speak it. Let it become active. Amen? Amen. All right. We're almost done here. Did I do well? Charlene said, this time bring your phone because last week I preached for an hour. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know until I, you know, I looked, oh, they put it on a video, and I, I clicked on it, and it said one hour and one minute, and I went. <laughs> so it said, bring your phone, and I just checked it right now. I should have checked it earlier, but I think, I think we're all right anyway. See, this is not the scripture, and I'm almost done here, and we'll, we'll move on to, you know, what to do after. The scripture says to meditate on the word of God, and that's where the saturation happens. That's where the word of God gets in and, and heals and dissects and becomes everything. And it's not like Eastern meditation. I shared last week, my mom was 
into new age and, and you know, it's, it saddens my heart. But Eastern meditation, it's, you know, I don't want nobody to bug me, don't disturb my peace. Eastern meditation, really, I'll, I'll just read what I wrote here. It empties your mind. And if you empty your mind, the devil comes right in, right? And so Eastern meditation does the opposite. When you say, oh, I'm going to empty my mind. Meditating on the Word of God, what it does is it fills your mind with the Word of God so that there's no room for the devil to come in. And that's a lifestyle. Amen? So there's going to be stuff online. Our pastor is going to take care of that. I think, I know, I'm saying our pastor, but I know it's Lori that's going to do it. But anyway, he's going to, I had to say it. I did promise that I was not going to make fun of your Michael Jackson hand, right? <laughs> anyway, so it's going to be on the website or on the Facebook page. You're going to have the notes of this week. Like, if you want, you know, guarding my heart, what was the points again? Where should I be? It'll be right there online for you to use. Um, the notes last week, notes this week. Also, um, I have a list, and it's a living document. It's something, I don't mind if you copy and paste it on yours and you continue it and make your own document, but it's scriptures that through life, oh, wow, this is a good verse. Like the one in Titus that I showed you is one I added a few months ago. Right, so you just add scriptures onto this list and topics and all that, you know, to have it ready. So I'm gonna give you mine, and from there you can make your own or do whatever you want, okay? And uh, is that it, that list? The two, yeah, I think that's pretty well it. And then from there, develop your own habit of using the word of God to fight, amen? amen. All right, so, mm. Now we're moving into sermon number two. <laughs> Are you ready? For I'm just going to read one scripture. One scripture, and we're going to release you. Um, but I want to give you some instructions here. Let me, let me find it here. I got all these tabs here, these little stickies, that, so I know where it is. We're going to release. You're going to be released to have conversation here, but we're gonna encourage you to pray for one another. So I'm gonna read something here in James and explain something because, you know, it, we talk about spiritual warfare, I think I touched on this last week, is sometimes if our mind is not renewed, we can read scripture and take it wrong, right? You understand what I mean? If you're angry and you, you know, or whatever, and you read a scripture, you may think, well, what I mean, God must be cruel. You know what I mean? So um, I'm going to read this in James 5, 16, 17. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Ouch. Okay. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's times you've got to open your heart, folks. And it's usually what you don't want to open up. But the promise here is healing, right? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I've had Christians in the past 
take that, that last line and say, well, I'm not righteous enough to pray for somebody. And maybe some of us may think that, right? Well, I'm not righteous enough. It says the prayer of the righteous. And it dawned on me, it's not sermon number two, just give me a couple minutes here. It dawned on me that people sometimes, and I know I've had that years ago, is you'll read scriptures and then you take it wrong and it kind of pushes you away. It's not God pushing you away, it's, it's our own thoughts, right? And you know, there's many scriptures that says we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, right? There's many scriptures that says that Christ clothes us with his righteousness. And sometimes if we're not in a good way in our minds, we'll take it like I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I've got all these problems in my life and all these faults, but I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's almost like your dirty, rotten sinner throws a blanket on top of you and then the blanket makes you righteous, right? The scripture says, actually, before I tell you the scripture, short story. That makes no sense, what I just said, because we're the bride of Christ, right? We're the bride of Christ. So let's say, I'm, I hate to use my wife as an example. <laughs> I've done that too many times. Let's say you're getting married with a woman, okay? And, you know, the groom is in the church, the place is packed, and you're sitting there waiting for the wedding to start. And the groom looks out the door, and he sees the bride, like, walking up the steps. So he runs outside the church. The bride's all dressed in white, and her hair's all done, and, you know, makeup and all these things. And he throws a paper bag on top of her head. <laughs> then he says, now you're ready to come in. Now we can get married. And then she walks down the aisle with a paper bag with two holes there. And he comes in and gets married. Like, how do you think she would feel? She'd be mad, right? Shame, embarrassed. What does that say about me being the groom? I'm ashamed of her. I, I don't want to see how she looks. You know what I mean? It makes no sense. So having this ideology of, you know, it's a blanket that God, you know, Jesus throws on top of us and we're righteous because he throws a blanket on top of us, but we're dirty, rotten sinners inside, makes absolutely no sense. Because when you get into the word of God, this is what the word of God says. It says, yes, we're clothed with Christ. But many other scriptures says, says this specifically. When we're clothed by, with Christ, or by Christ, we become the righteousness of God. So he doesn't throw a blanket on top of us, we become his righteousness. So when the Bible says here, the prayers of the righteous, in James, avails much, what it says is you, you and I, you know, and if we need to repent or if we need to set something right or whatever, we do that. But we become the righteousness of Christ. So we are the righteousness of Christ. And we have 100% full authority to go pray with somebody.